Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Varza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hey, Roxanne. How are you? Now, before we begin, Robin, this is your first time co-hosting. Anything you'd like to say to the listeners before we start? Yes, three things. First of all, I'm quite honored. Thank you for asking me. No, but first and foremost, thanks to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in. Thank you very much, Neil, for you know handling the first 50 podcasts, and I hope many more to come. Uh, he did a great job, so I hope to at least get to, to where he gotten 50 podcasts. Really good. And and thirdly, um, thank you, Roxanne, for doing it and for inviting me to co-host this time. Great, Robin. Looking forward to doing another 50 and hopefully more episodes with you as well. So this week, we will cover a vast software's acquisition of AVG for $1.3 billion. We'll take a look at startup funding and M&A activity in Belgium. We'll also discuss Europe's self-driving delivery robots. And Robin, uh, you had a chance to catch up with UK-based Yo-Yo Wallet, so we'll have a listen to that. And finally, we'll wrap up with a discussion of Europe's connected car industry. So let's jump right in with Netherlands-based antivirus company AVG being acquired by Czech Avast for $1.3 billion. So Avast, the Czech Republic-based security company, paid $25 per share and had to receive $1.6 billion from Credit Suisse Securities, UBS Investment Bank, and Jefferies to complete the deal. Avast, which was founded in 1998 and today employs over 500 people worldwide, said the new combined company will have more than 400 million users. That's just huge. And this purchase will help scale ahead of growing challenges and opportunities in the cybersecurity space. So with this acquisition, AVG plans to accelerate its own investments in growing markets. AVG, which was founded in 1991 in the Czech Republic prior to moving to the Netherlands, has also made a few acquisitions itself, including UK-based Privax, which are the makers of Hide My Ass VPN, and Israeli Myrol. Great, yeah. So so my thinking on this deal is um, it's a big one. It's an important one. It's an interesting one. Uh, but it's also important to note that this isn't the company buying a startup or a, a startup buying a rival startup to grow faster. These companies have been founded over you know, more than 25 years ago, the both of them. And I think what's interesting is that the fact that they're consolidating their operations means that there's growing demand. And I don't think that's much of a surprise to anyone. There is a huge need for um, cybersecurity tools, um, both on devices and individuals and businesses, but not just because the threats and the attacks are growing, which we you know, we've seen in the last few years, but also because the number of connected devices are, are growing exponentially. You mentioned the combined company will have more than 400 million users. Um, I think what they actually said was it, it's going to be more than 400 million endpoints, which is different. I mean, I mean, it's the number of devices and connections and, and, and individuals that, that are connected that they're trying to secure. Obviously, there's a growing need for it. It makes sense for them to combine to have more scale, more R&D capabilities, more sales you know, force uh, worldwide. Uh, So I think that's the reasoning behind the deal. You know, the the attacks are getting more sophisticated. The threats are are increasingly becoming, you know, more frequent. So it makes sense for them to consolidate, for sure. 
it's also worth highlighting that Avast actually uh, tried to go public, uh, which is what AVG did. So they, they IPO'd their public company. Avast wanted to go public back in 2012, but actually didn't um, at the time. So you knew that something was going to happen in this space. They were either going to get acquired or acquire or merge or go public at some point. Uh, and now it finally happens. So I think that's interesting. And, and of course, the fact that they're both from the same very, very small country in Europe uh, originally is, I think, a very interesting fact. And also the fact that they stayed here. I mean, they're both still based in Europe. Uh, one is still in Czech Republic, Avast, and AVG is now based in the Netherlands. So a European tech acquisition, if I ever saw one. Yes, I have to say, actually, uh, it isn't every day that we get to talk about Czech companies on the podcast, and I definitely was not expecting to talk about such a big deal involving Czech-based companies. So definitely a very, very exciting topic. Now, when we talk about M&A and funding in Europe, we may tend to gravitate around the same markets. We always talk about Germany, the UK, France, the Nordics, but now let's take a look at the numbers in Belgium, which is home of the EU. According to our data, Belgian tech companies raised 150 million euros across 41 deals in 2015. Now, that may not sound like a particularly high number when compared to figures in the UK or Germany, who raise more than 150 sometimes in a single round. But if we compare Belgium's 2015 and 2016 figures, we can see that investment is clearly on the rise. So the first six months of 2016, Belgian startups raised 100. 6 million euros across 56 rounds. So that's already pretty close to what they did for the whole of 2015. Now, Robin, you're obviously based in Belgium and pretty well positioned to comment. Do you actually feel this in the ecosystem locally? Are startups raising more frequently and bigger rounds? And are these all rounds uh, raised just by early stage companies? Yeah, good question. Um, so yes, I was born and raised here. I mean, I still work and live here. So I know the Belgian ecosystem quite well. Um, it's evolved a lot over the last few years, but I think you can say that about pretty much any European ecosystem, to be fair. But yes, I mean, there are companies that I think are really interesting uh, on a global scale these days, like really competing uh, in their specific market or vertical uh, with other companies around the world. They're raising more money. They're raising bigger rounds. The number of deals is going up quite rapidly, which I think is the most interesting conclusion. But it's still tiny. I mean, we don't have to make ourselves believe that we're any bigger than we actually are. Um, we are a very small country. The ecosystem is still very young. Um, it's still quite a lot of development to have in the next few years um, before it gets to a point where they can compete against. You know, even countries in, in, in Europe that are similarly sized, uh, like like Sweden is is... is you know, it's, it's smaller in terms of population, but they have a way more history in building big technology companies and they have a couple of unicorns and all that. Uh, Belgium doesn't have that yet. I mean, it might happen at some point, but we're not there yet. So uh, still a long way to go, but very interesting to watch. So there have been two deals so far in 2016 that have been over 20 million. So this includes Showpad, which raised 50 million and announced that deal in May, and Oro Technologies, which raised 28 million and announced that deal in June. Now, while Belgium may actually not be uh, up there with Sweden or the UK, it's actually ahead of markets like Portugal and Austria for investment raised in 2015 and Q1 of 2016. Obviously, Robin, you've mentioned that there's still room for a bit of improvement, and that is especially with regards to the M&A space. For sure. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned Portugal, for example. I would have never expected Belgium to come ahead in terms of deals and, and, and investment size uh, of Portugal, which is 
regarded as one of the up and coming ecosystems in Europe, but apparently uh, Belgium still ahead of them on, in terms of numbers. So um, that's quite a surprise for me. You're absolutely right in terms of M&A. It's been really, really quiet the last few years. We'll see if that changes. But yeah, so for investors, obviously, it doesn't make sense to keep pumping capital into a certain ecosystem or local startups when there are no exits uh, at some point. So, so we need to have those for sure. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Um, you mentioned some of the names, Showpad and Auro Technologies. Showpad, I'm kind of biased because I was an advisor very early on in the company. Uh, when they got started, I was an advisor to the company. So I've seen them develop. It's quite a, an interesting story to watch. I also interviewed the founder for one of the upcoming podcasts. So you can have a listen to, to his thoughts on, on the round uh, very soon. And then Aura Technologies, the other company that you mentioned that raised $28 million, I'd never actually heard of it. Uh, some of the most interesting conclusions that I can make, I saw this report and was prepared by someone else uh, in the TechU, uh, Jaime, our data analyst. And, and I was actually surprised how many companies that were mentioned that I didn't know about. So, so that's a good sign. That means that there are companies you know, flying under the radar and suddenly they're raising these big rounds or, or, or doing big partnerships and, and breaking through and scaling up that I don't know about. So that's a good sign. So this just in, apparently self-driving delivery robots may soon become common in European cities. UK-based startup Starship Technologies, and I have to admit, I love that name, is planning to launch the testing of its autonomous delivery robots later this month in the UK, Germany, and Switzerland. So I guess London, Dusseldorf, and Bern will be Europe's first cities to see the robot form of Deliveroo. Apparently, these robots have already been testing in 12 cities for the last nine months. But this launch will be the first time that the robots are tested in actual delivery scenarios. The company will be working, obviously, with different partners for inventory. So to give an example, for the food space, they will work with a partner like Just Eat. Now, Starship Technologies estimates several months of testing with commercial deployment of these robots in 2017. I have to say, I find this just incredible. Um, and looking at the robots, they're actually really well designed. And I don't say this about many robots. One thing that the company is wary of is how to integrate robots into human society. And I think they have a real point with that. The robots actually have nine different cameras and have apparently been tested on over 400,000 people and have not encountered an incident yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I read somewhere, and this is probably true, um, the cost of delivering a package, 80% of that cost um, actually comes down to the last mile of the delivery, which I think is why so many companies in this space are focusing on this last mile delivery, uh, because that's where the, the cost of labor becomes a really, really huge factor. Um, you see Amazon experimenting and other companies as well experimenting with drones. You see self-driving cars becoming you know, an option for a lot of companies for delivery. But then the other thing is self-delivery robots that actually get the last mile literally to the front door. Starship is a very interesting company. I had the chance to interview the founders on stage at Slush last year, Slush conference in Helsinki, uh, and I also saw and played around with the robot. So, so I know a little bit about their, their plants and uh, what they're trying to pull off. So Starship is a UK-based company, that's right, but they're actually an Estonian team. So the founders were involved in Skype in the beginning, uh, which means that they have capital available uh, you know, personal capital they can pump into this testing period. They don't have to, have to worry about funding in the early stages, but I think it was the reason that they're, they're doing so much testing in so many locations at the same time. I think it's interesting. Uh, there's another UK startup in stealth mode currently working on this. It's called Cargo. 
I don't think anybody's really heard of that company before, but I'm sure they will. Uh, if not in 2016, then 2017. They're also very much tackling this issue with a self-driving robot that also looks very nice, by the way. So yeah, so it's an interesting space. I don't know if it really is going to move the needle that much. If all of these big companies like Amazon are betting kind of heavily on drones and other technologies. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. But I do think it's an interesting development for sure. Uh, one thing that I also wanted to comment on is the fact that it hasn't encountered an incident yet. I saw someone comment on Twitter that, you know, how long is it going to take for this robot to be broken into and, and the stuff that's in there stolen? And I, I asked that very question to the founder on stage when I was interviewing him. And he said, you know, cars are parked on the street and people know that there's something in the trunk. Uh, but how many times do you actually see a car being broken into? Like percentage-wise, that's not really that big a phenomenon. So he says, you know, the, these self-driving robots, you're going to get used to them. There's still a social norm that you just don't break into stuff that, that's out there in the public. You know, it doesn't really happen that regularly as you would imagine. So the tests have already shown that. I don't think it will be that much of an issue. I'm sure it's going to happen and it's going to be big news the first time. And then essentially it's going to fade away. And, you know, these things are going to become acceptable. Yes, we will need to stay tuned on what happens in the robot delivery space. Yes. So now we uh, I had a chance to catch up with Michael Rolf, who's uh, one of the co-founders of YoYo Wallet, which is a very interesting but very below the radar uh, fintech startup in the UK. So, hey, this is Robin Walters for TechEU. I'm here at the next web conference in Amsterdam. I'm here with Michael, the co-founder and CRO of uh, YoYo Wallet. What's YoYo Wallet? So in short, Yoyo Wallet is the only mobile wallet that's being done properly. What does that mean? Well, if you look at all the other terms out there that have given mobile wallet to the likes of Apple Pay and Android Pay and you know, anything else that anyone's tried before, the reality is they've all just done mobile payment. Whereas what Yoyo Wallet does is it enables you to pay, of course, but what we do is we automate the whole end-to-end -end transaction experience. So you're able to capture your loyalty points, your loyalty stamps, a fully itemized digital receipt, you get offers, you're able to buy coffee in advance. There's a whole host of experiences that your physical wallet enables you to do today. And we replicate all of that into your digital mobile wallet. Oh, brilliant. Where are you based? So we're actually based in London and New York. All right. And where do you operate now? In all of these markets or globally? or? So we're currently live in both the UK and the US. And very shortly, we're going to be going live in Singapore. All right. So if I understand this correctly, the model is direct to consumer, but it makes sense for you to partner with you know, existing organizations and uh, you have some news to announce as well. Like. So basically, we actually work with businesses, retailers, and it's through the retailers that we um, get to the consumers. Essentially, what we've done is we've focused on uh, a go-to-market strategy that is about closed environments. So we work with catering companies in universities or corporate head offices. And so our customers are the likes of uh, Sodexo and Aramark, etc. I think the news that uh, you're referring to is that we've just done a, a big, big deal with Aramark to roll out across all of their corporate canteens in the UK, which sees about 350 or so of the sort of top corporate head offices like PwC and JP Morgan all using Yo-Yo to buy their coffee in the morning and their lunch in the afternoon, etc. So that's really what we focus on is that closed community play. Now, on the back of that, we recognize that there's a lot of value that we can add into the high street retailers as well because all of these guys want to have a next generation loyalty program because today these paper-based stamp cards or you know these sort of card-based programs aren't very insightful. And what we bring is the smarts to that loyalty program. Brilliant. Have you raised any funding? So to date, we've raised $15 million. Are you raising more? 
well, as uh, any entrepreneur should say, they're always raising. Um, always you know, be raising. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, even though you don't want to be raising, because you're focused on the execution, you can't help the, the phone calls that come in. So, sure. uh, <laughs> And so apart from more partnership and distribution deals and customer, uh, what's the next thing on your roadmap in terms of product? So from a product perspective, you know, if I was really sort of kick out the direction in which we're heading, is that you know, we really think about the automation of commerce. So through what we're able to do, you know, knowing who somebody is, knowing where they are, knowing what they buy, you know, the experience that we can do is we can actually automate that experience around when you buy something. We made an acquisition of a company or technology actually at the turn of this year called QApp, which we've now just completely sort of you know, assimilated into the yo-yo experience. We've now launched that as Jump, which is a pre-ordering experience. And that is now starting to roll out across a number of our existing client sites. So we see you know, pre-ordering being you know, the natural first step towards an automated commerce experience. Can I ask, what's your background? Why did you come up with this idea? Um, were you in the fintech space before? Or? Yeah, so I guess I could be classified as a payment guy, you know, first data, Barclay card, PayPal. And then I was very fortunate. I was part of a group of people that came together that was very much focused on the financial technology space, both on the investment side and the advisory side. And through sort of a three-year period, I got to work with a number of startups that were in our portfolio, but also was on the receiving end of being pitched, but then also helping big corporates with their innovation dilemmas. Right. So you learn a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, actually, just the other day, I found an original notebook where you can sort of trace back the concepts and oh, ideas wow. that, that <laughs> sort of fed into Yo-Yo. So, That's really cool. Yeah. Well, obviously, fintech is really hot in the UK, well, globally, but the UK is really building a lot of momentum. At the same time, we've seen Power uh, Lending Club in the US, so it seems, seems to be kind of a, a negative uh, tone to it lately. So how do you see that? So, so firstly, what you know, you've got to remember is that these sort of cases like Power and, and Lending Club, you know, when they raise a lot of money up front without a product, you know, which is particularly you know, in the Power's instance, like, you've got to question why were they able to get so much money in the first place, right? right? So... So for me, it's not an indication of the industry. It's actually, you've got to look at sort of the investment thesis that went behind it. Right. So, and that could be in any industry. You know, sometimes people make a big bet and they, you know, it doesn't work out. I think from our side, what we see is that we're in an incredibly hot space that has got so much room to grow. You know, everyone today is transacting in the physical world. It's 90% of all the transactions. So even though we talk about e-commerce a lot, you've got to remember that's only 10% globally of transactions. Everyone still operates in the physical world. So we're really focused on that. We don't see anybody in our space that you know, has anything like the experience we've created in terms of a, a product or even a, a brand, essentially. So uh, you know, we're very optimistic. And of course, along the way, there are always going to be some blow-ups. And you know, we're lucky that we're in a space where there's a lot of runway ahead. Fair enough. Well, Michael, thank you very much for your time. And best of luck with YoYo. Thank you very much. Finally, connected cars. So Europe is home to some of the world's largest car manufacturers, including countries like Germany, the UK, and France. Tech.eu actually published a recent report on the European and Israeli automotive tech industry. This sector has raised 711 million euros in 2015 across 66 deals and over 600 million in the first five months of 2016 across 52 deals. That is a huge increase. Germany is clearly the winner in this space when it comes to raising the most funding, having the most exits, and the country with the most acquirers. Obviously, the hottest vertical in this space is the taxi apps that we just seem to have popping up all over the place, but also P2P car sharing and e-commerce for car sales are very high in the ranks. Yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, if you get a chance to, to buy the report, if you're interested in the space, you, you definitely should because it's filled with lots of information also about up and coming startups and what the big car manufacturers that you mentioned are actually doing. 
in terms of innovation and working with startups. So, so really interesting report, in my humble opinion, very biased opinion. <laughs> um, but yeah, so automotive tech, uh, connected car, uh, whatever you want to call it, is something that Europe tends to be quite good at. Um, it's still early days, in my opinion. Um, you see the financing going up, but the M&A activity is still relatively low. So it feels like it's, it's a nascent industry, uh, although, you know, its roots go back very, very, um, you know, even decades. But, but, I, but I feel like the best is still to come. You know, the, the fact that we have these big car manufacturers helps in that regard, but it also works against us in a way because it, you know, it doesn't open that many opportunities for uh, really good engineers uh, that are interested in automotive tech and connected cars. They probably work or want to work at some of these big manufacturers that are doing interesting projects rather than start their own companies. But we, we take the definition quite broadly. So we include e-commerce uh, marketplaces for cars and car parts. So, you know, you can agree with that or you would say, you know, that's not really car technology. And, and you know, that's a a fair opinion but if you break it down then the actual the bulk of the funding is actually going to these taxi hailing apps and the transportation and mobility applications so i think that that's also where the most m a is going to happen in the next few years and by the way um, upcoming reports we have obviously the second quarter just ended so we're going to do a deep analysis on all of the funding and the m a activity that we saw in the second quarter of this year and we're also going to compare the first half of the, the year um, to 2015. So look out for those reports in the next few weeks. Well, that's it for this podcast, my first co-hosting. I advise you to subscribe if you haven't already um, on SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, you can listen to the podcast every week on TechU as well. We use AFAST, which is a, a really good tool for listening and subscribing as well. You can follow Roxanne on Twitter, it's at Roxanne Barza. You can follow me on Twitter if you really want to, it's at Robin Waters. TechU is tech underscore EU on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you tune in next week as well. Thank you. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Roxanne.